0: Alright, welcome back everybody, my name is Alex Davis and this is the Faultline Podcast. This uh, episode is accompanying uh, edition number 874 (laughs) and it's the end of the day so words are hard. I'm joined by Tommy Flanagan, our editor. Hello. And Rafi Cohen, an analyst on Rethink TV. Hello, hello. And I'm high energy and I'm going to fizzle out because I'm going to have to hand it over to Tommy and say, hey. How is this week? And, you know, well, post CS, normally it's a bit of a lull, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, not only that, but some pretty momentous things have been happening with our friends in the States this week. So that is why it's been a pretty uh, slow week, technology news wise. And I know we're supposed to remain kind of impartial here at Faultline, but at the same time, I think it's pretty impossible to remain impartial in what are extreme circumstances right now. So we're pretty buzzing for the Biden administration, and in particular, uh, the departure of Ajit Pai, who uh, took a leaf from the the book of the former president this week by getting a little bit sassy on Twitter on the way out the door in his mic drop moment. But um, anyway, so decided to sort of carry on the political narrative a bit in this episode um, and in this week's lead story in Faultline. And there was a, a super interesting panel session at Virtual CES uh, from last week that kind of Below the radar. Oh, and by the way, um, the reason I'm kind of still harping on about last week's event is because in the days after CES, I found out, speaking to people, that it wasn't actually all that easy for people to to get in and view um, the sessions and, and and basically attend CES, despite this being uh, supposedly a broad-reaching consumer show. Um, and even Faultline had to meet some pretty strict, unusually strict criteria to get a media pass. So uh, that's why we're we're churning out a bit more CS coverage to give people a, a glimpse. Um, so this particular session featured some big dog lawyers from uh, Twitter and Google in the form of their respective chief piracy, privacy, sorry, not piracy, officers, as well as uh, an executive from the Alexa Trust team from Amazon, the fact that Amazon... Has even had to create this dedicated division i think speaks volumes but it's funny because being based in europe we're pretty numb now to gdpr and people are pretty sick of hearing about it so please please don't drop off um hearing that word but in the u.s We hear panel session after panel session and and executive after executive waxing lyrical about how great GDPR has been for data privacy and has these these huge, huge uh, implications for technology. and, And it's about time really that the rest of the world follows suit. So these guys are talking about The stars are lining in the USA for a while now, but with the new administration coming in the likes of Twitter and Google and Amazon are feeling pretty optimistic about change ahead. So they're hoping for something similar to GDPR that acts as a catalyst in the way GDPR did to adjusting data privacy and also a catalyst for features that didn't exist before, such as data portability and the ability for consumers to request and access all the data and even now um, people can request an organization to just delete all the data as a new which wasn't even possible before gdpr came in and another super interesting point that was discussed and something that we like to focus on at faultline is the the implications for the startup community because with gdpr startup companies are in this sort of enviable position of not actually having to retrofit Privacy features into a product, and they can just build these systems with the understanding that the data will be accessed, can be accessed, and users will have that control. So I think um, we kind of owe a debt of gratitude um, to GDPR for that, and that's that's how the the US um, big tech guys are, are viewing it, and has really has got to be to uh, one of the key arguments to getting something similar to GDPR getting written at a federal law level in um, the the US. So. Um, uh, a few other things that um these big boys are hoping for from the Biden administration are as well as uh, cross border data portability which actually was twitter's chief privacy officer's main passion um during during the session he was very conscious about users having the same experience between borders country to country and of course that could have um, if it's if it's a different experience that has big knock-on effects not just on the end user but on the, the advertising data and therefore its core revenue streams while Google's chief privacy officer he was talking more about consistent protection of individual rights and uniformity of controls and also a focus on transparency in AI and machine learning which you know, as we said before is going to be a big theme this year, but interestingly, Twitter's um, CPO also took aim at the FTC, not to be be confused with um, Ajit Pai's uh, former commission, saying that the teams there don't fully understand the complexities around data privacy. Um, which, interestingly, Google didn't entirely agree with. That was the only slight disagreement they had on the panel. So um, that's something for the uh, Biden administration to to sort out once it gets round to it. And interestingly. The uh, panellist representing Amazon was the only non-lawyer, um, and she was actually the most sceptical about getting any sort of um, omnibus privacy law um, through that remotely resembles GDPR, um, and uh, described it as dealing with a forever patchwork quilt, which I thought was a nice uh, way of putting it. Um, so, um, wrapping up, the elephant in the room, or rather not in the room, was um, was the absence of Facebook, um, which was, was strange, I think. CES was a great opportunity for Facebook to get out there and kind of reassure the world that it's on the same page as Google and Twitter and Amazon. It's not this monster that everyone perceives it to be. But then again, CES might have just genuinely not invited it. So that's that. Yeah, uh, that sounds like it It could be a
0: very raggedy uh, patchwork quilt there um, mm-hmm. moving forward. But no, it, like it's, it's a change that would then trickle out into the... The rest of the the entire web industry, um, and then in our sort of neck of the world, um, we're so interested in yeah marketing data that you can get from uh, you know a S demographics and whatnot. So yeah, it's a it's a sort of an impact that will yeah trickle trickle forward. So that I think. Part of, part of the uh, transition here, I think, will be moving to Raffi because um, the operators are going to get caught up in this, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if any of them are particularly prepared. But Raffi, this week, you were looking at Dish Viacom CBS get wheels turning for broad- broadcast addressability. So uh, tell us more, please.
2: Yeah, sure. So many have been saying that this year is kind of when addressable advertising is really going to kick off, um, and Dish Network have partnered with Viacom CBS. Said they've essentially done the first ever trial of deliver of delivering addressable ad impressions during a national broadcast uh, via a set top. Uh, these claims have first seemed to have gone unchallenged, um, and yeah, this previously has done some kind of similar work before. They uh, did a addressable trial with A and E networks, but this was kind of on a per household basis, not a national broadcast. Um, so, what happened is Viacom CBS essentially loaded the broadcast with markers. These were developed by Ad Curatio. And this allowed Dish Set Tops to replace broadcast ads with uh, pre downloaded ads. Um, and then, yeah, if this, if this fails for some reason, then just the, ad, the ads from the national broadcast will just play as normal. Um, we're not quite sure which markets these were tested across, but it was a market where Dish and Viacom CBS have, you know, both operate. And there's plans for a wider, wider rollout, but they haven't really given a timeline. Um, what was interesting was kind of looking at who was involved. So as I mentioned before, ad curatio, they were a new name for us. They kind of offer a suite of products for advertising on MVPDs, uh, such as campaign management, automating workflows and addressable products, which is what they provided here. They provided their signaling and activation technologies, which are essentially the markers. Um, also, although they didn't really get a formal shout out, um, in one of the quotes from the Viacom CBS guy, Nvidia uh, were involved They're a set top technology vendor. They've kind of worked on similar deployments in India, so they seemed like a, a suitable fit. And then most interesting, even though they had no mention at all, but uh, Dish have previously worked with Concast Freewheel to optimise addressable linear previous times. So it would be, it would seem as though Concast have been involved, and then it would be strange if they haven't been. So it would be interesting to see, see what happens there. Um, but yeah, this is a really important development for Dish because, you know, faultline always says, they're churning away all their pay TV subscribers. Uh, they're they're you know, really not benefiting from essentially only making money from the video bit of Coldplay. And um, yeah, currently the most recent results we have from Q3 2020 show that their satellite subscribers are below 9 million. This was down 5.6% year on year. Um, and adjustability allows you to monetize this shrinking revenue source without pissing off the customers by hiking the prices. So it's really important that they kind of get the ball rolling on this before others, but yeah, there will be others involved. This is very clearly the start of a trend, um, kind of the most high profile other instance, which hasn't come into being yet is an AMC networks who are partnering with canoe ventures to run addressable across multi-distributor linear, um, streams, not streams broadcasts. um, and, yeah, this is going to be with Charter and Comcast. So that should hopefully come into gear sometime this year. And then, yeah, it will see addressable taking off fairly slowly, but actually doing something.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I think we should uh, do some digging and see what happened with Freewheel. Um, yeah, Comcast is racking up quite a, a suite of intellectual property, but... um. Yeah, usually I, I get the impression at the expense of uh, other operators um, in the market. So maybe a bit of politics, a bit of bloodletting perhaps. But the politics is um, is a, a nice transition to what I was looking at this week. Uh, it was something that we touched on uh, just before Christmas, which was the AV1 codec from the Alliance for Open Media. So uh, rumours abound for imminent Android TV AV1 mandate. Uh, this was triggered by a... Internal Google slide that the website XDA Developers uh, had managed to see, and it sort of reinforced a a crop of rumors that had appeared um, last year, back in March, uh, which were saying that um, Google was about to make it compulsory to support AV1 uh, encode well decoding on devices uh, if you wanted to use Android TV. Um, This was a it would be quite, quite a sort of shake-up, really, because there's not all that much silicon um, out in the world uh, at the moment. And, and we sort of had a look, and there's a, there's a Broadcom uh, chipset, there's a, a couple, a few designs from Amlogic, uh, and then Samsung, LG, Sony have sort of smatterings of it. And the reason that we were interested just for Christmas is because it looked like Qualcomm was being uh, sort of beaten to the punch uh, with uh, Rockchip and MediaTek having mobile. Uh, Processors that could do AV1 in silicon, uh, and Qualcomm didn't. So it, we sort of concluded there that it was politics that Qualcomm was supporting the sort of rival codec, which is the uh, MPEG sort of family. So it's H.266 and the the sort of three of the you know XVCs uh, involved there. So that's the sort of backdrop, and we had a, a look around at the sort of available devices, um, and have sort of scratched our heads really because I I can't really imagine that the deadline for march 2021 for av1 is um i don't think it can really be enforced um i i imagine it's been shifted um down the line a couple of quarters at least uh especially with the sort of impact from uh covid and the sort of uh, knock-on effect in the developer kind of workflows. um but yeah uh the, the sort of additional bit of evidence is uh we also looked at the chromecast with google tv which is google's like uh sort of first proper like video device it's not a chromecast that's just being a middleman it's like a standalone thing uh and not even that can do um av1 in silicon yet uh so yeah it's a strange position to be in um but this market in 2021 in theory like on paper should suddenly become av1 you know uh, compatible there should be enough devices out there to encourage people to start shifting their workflows to support av1 on the encoding side of things uh so yeah, it's um, it's kind of setting the stage for a bit of a showdown, and of course we're in, on reefing TV. We're interested in how that kind of market um shakes out, and the sort of uh, to and fro between the kind of rival uh, royalty-free approaches. But no, it's just another wrinkle in in a weird kind of scenario, uh, and it's um something that that I think you have to really get your teeth into, uh, because uh, at the end of the day, it's just the usual kind of political bickering. Um, and uh semiconductors but i, I quite like that so I'm, I'm quite happy to to read and write about that uh so yeah i uh, will just dive dive in that's the end of the long form stuff we'll look at the uh the worth noting section now so Rafi, five years ago today what was going on
2: uh well obviously i wasn't here five years ago so i'd quite like to confirm this with either of you and the first sentence of the issue five years ago it said that the fault line office was brought to a standstill as ST Micro dropped out of the set-top game, do either of you recall a standstill?
0: <laughs> it was
1: definitely shock. Yeah, this is, this is definitely um, Alex's roommate. Yeah,
0: uh, it, it, for a while it was there was a real clear sort of delineation. You had Brocom which was like bleeding edge, great stuff. These are the good guys, and ST Micro, the sort of scrappy upstart. And then you had like a bunch of no-name sort of options that you could kind of get out of China and Taiwan, um, and. Yeah, it's it's a bit weird looking back, really, because Broadcom has shifted. It got bought and it's all, sort of, yeah, gone on a bit of a spree. But no, Rafi, right, carry, carry on. You're <laughs> so. bloody stealing my segment. I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh, ST Micro dropped out the set top game. Uh, yeah, as you said, until that point, it was always Broadcom against ST Micro. And now there's a big power vacuum. Uh, and Faultline couldn't really think of anyone suitable to, to take ST Micro or fill ST Micro's shoes. But there were a lot, if anyone was going to, it would have been a company coming from the East, such as like China's MediaTek. At least 800 jobs were lost and many of STMicro's partners that were less welcome at Broadcom, such as MaxLinear and Quantenna, were going to experience setbacks in their innovation. Um, And yeah, it kind of seemed like it was a semi-monopoly, which was raising fears about vendor lock-ins and serious questions about Broadcom's incentives for innovation, if you consider that. The emergence of multiple security cores on its chips had taken years.
0: Yep. It was a strange time. and I mean, Broadcom, I, I don't really think it's got much of a reputation in set-tops anymore. It used to be sort of a, a flag-bearer, and now it, now it seems pretty generic, I think. Is that that about the case, Tommy? Yeah. All right, Tommy, anything in here you want to draw our readers' attention to?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry, but I'm continuing the political theme. I might try and take a break, break from this uh, next week, actually. So I mentioned... Um, Ajit Pai earlier and there was some snaky behaviour going on this week in the dying days of um, a uh, Republican led FCC because Charter, Charter Communications somehow managed to have a key condition of its 2018 Time Warner Bright House Networks merger thrown out um, which uh, this condition stated um, that Charter could not charge usage based fees or implement data caps um, on the subscribers so now that's that's thrown out and this means charter joins comcast as the latest us operator to bring in these sweeping data caps for internet usage and i mean it's less than a year ago that we were all praising these isps for for giving subscribers payment holidays and dishing out other benefits as the the pandemic hit a lot of these communities hard so um so i described this as agit pie. Um, clearly wanting to add just one more notch to his anti-consumer bedpost on which (laughs) he somehow sleeps at night
0: that's that's pretty fair he's (laughs) an absolute reprobate Um, yeah so just by final one uh, web another uh, venture that we're pretty down on Um, it has now uh, sort of slashed uh, its FCC uh, number of satellite requests from 48,000 to about 8,000 And somehow SoftBank has decided to reinvest in it, even though SoftBank's kind of collapse was responsible for OneWeb's bankruptcy in the first place. So, yeah, very strange. Um, so, yeah, there we are, guys. That's the end of Faultline 874. Uh, Tommy, a break from politics next week, uh, but anything uh, anything lined up concrete? Yeah, hopefully.
1: Um, yes, I am speaking to the CEO of a Swedish vendor called Varnish Software, which I hadn't heard of uh, till two days ago. So um, they offer something called a, a DIY CDN think That involves some sort of um, edge caching and edge computing and, and some, some fancy customization toolkits for, for delivery. So, um, yeah, looking forward to diving into that and uh, giving readers a bit more detail. That sounds right
0: up our street. All right, head to rethinkresearch.biz to uh, take out a, a trial fault line and to have a peek at Rethink TV's uh, executive summaries for our market research and forecasts. Uh, if you can, leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice. Um, tell a friend if you work in this industry. Um, spread the word. Um, we, we'd like to get some sort of dissenting opinions, um, telling us if we're we're full of it, um, or you know, just some praise. Praise is nice as well. Um, so without much further ado that's the end I will catch you next week so bye bye cheers then see ya